Welcome, everybody. It's been several weeks. I apologize for that. This is the president of the Bellarmine Forum, your host, John B. Manos. And today I am sitting with Landon De Pasquale, and we're going to talk about, well, just about everything. But we're going to talk about how do you just stay the course when the church news makes you want to rip your hair out and just give up? Uh, let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Well, welcome everybody. Our Lady, I uh, shouldn't forget this. Our Lady, Queen of the Angels, pray for us. Pray for us. October, another month of Our Lady. You can find, I, I, I apologize to our audience because I'm intended... We have daily meditations I added to the website this year. And if you go on, um, I will put a link on the front page. By the time you hear this, it'll be there. And you can follow the days, although it says for May. If you would like to do daily meditations for Our Lady during October, the month of the Rosary, uh, they're short meditations. And, and even if you did them back in May... You can look at them again in October. The great things about these meditations are written in such a way that you're going to find some fruit in them, even when you come back to them. Uh, just a little time out there and a little public service announcement for Our Lady. Uh, we got a lot going on this month. You know, you have the 100th anniversary, and Landon and I will talk about that in a minute, the 100th anniversary of Fatima coming up on the 13th. We just had our the Feast of the Guardian Angels. You've got the Teresa's. Uh, tomorrow, Francis of Assisi. There's uh, Saturday is Our Lady of the Rosary, October 7th. It's also first Saturday. Don't forget that for uh, people who try to keep that devotion like myself. And I am behind the times because uh, some people have seen this, but I don't know if you haven't heard of it yet. There will be a post for me in the coming days. In Poland, they've made an effort. It's called the Rosary at the Border. And I saw that. Yeah. They, they, people have signed up. I'm actually registered at a church in Poland to say my rosary Saturday morning in solidarity with the people that are actually physically there. Uh, and it's the good old days. It's everything I've argued about in past posts that we need to be turning to the rosary and using it as the weapon Our Lady promised it to be. So against the onslaught of some people would take it, and it's certainly not a politically correct thing to say, but against the onslaught of the weaponized refugees uh, being sent in to deculturalize and destabilize these countries, Poland has said no, and they've taken historical precedent that Our Lady has saved them in the past. I wish they would have done this when Napoleon marched through, by the way, but they didn't. Uh, but that's okay, we can always start again. Countries, just like people, can always start again, and Poland's doing that now. Uh, they're going to have a rosary on the border of Poland uh, this Saturday. And it, uh, I promise a post before then that explains a little bit more about it and where maybe you could sign up if you want uh, to sign up and be part of that as well. But uh, without getting into all the politics, I did want to introduce, because there's a lot of big stuff coming right up in October. I do have Landon with me. Uh, say hello to everybody, Landon. It's, How's it going, everybody? <laughs> there we go. So when we were setting up for the show, we got into this topic of, man, it's just so much church news going, but life goes on in the middle of it. I'm not part of the Curia. You're not part of the Curia. 
Uh, and despite what the conspiracy theorist might say, because I went to a Jesuit school, I don't report into the albino monks, so I really don't have any responsibilities in the Vatican. But I that, do have you're willing to speak about <laughs> Exactly, exactly. If I told you, I'd have to take you out. Um, and I think there's a temptation. You hit on it earlier when we were preparing for the podcast that there's a temptation with all this news that comes from the Vatican for people to become despondent in the middle of it. And it's because they feel like there must be some... I think sometimes it's so overwhelming they feel like there's something they need to do. But Yeah. It, no, no. I was just going to say, I, I, I've spoken to multiple friends, and I would be the first one to... Not to throw my friends under the bus. The first one to say, there's definitely that time where you start following church news just a little bit too much. Yeah. And it starts to creep into your prayer life. And all of a sudden, you're sitting at Mass, and instead of being able to focus on the prayers at Mass, the sacrifice that's happening before you, you're thinking about the things that are going on that you have no control over. <laughs> yeah. And it's, if not the primary tool of the enemy, it's certainly one of the big ones. Because it allows Satan to sow chaos, even between good Catholics and it prevents us from practicing those pious traditions that we ought to be practicing. Yes, I think that's true. And, and when you say it prevents, I mean, is it, you know, I guess there's several, I see it several ways, that even if I've been tempted in this myself, because I, I view it as like a despondency where you're like, is this worth it? I mean, these people are like nuts. Or, yeah, it's easy to lose hope and go, what is all this for? What's the purpose? Mm-hmm. Why am I doing all this? I, I guess, you know, sometimes I, sometimes I look at it like any other distraction. And you look at hints from the saints and they say you should turn the, the cause of distraction into a, a, a force of your prayer. So, you know, if you're distracted thinking of somebody you haven't talked to in a while while you're praying you would turn it into an attention of, well, for their well-being or something yeah. like that. I, you know, I guess there's some of that, but you brought up part of it too that I guess this happens even on diocesan levels to some degree, and both of us are around enough people that are tied into the, the machinery of various dioceses that we see it happen, but it's almost like there's this there's all this motion within the church that really has nothing to do with spirituality. Yeah, and it's easy to get ground up in that. Um, whether you're stuck going to meetings three or four days out of the week about topics that aren't going to help you save souls, whether it's having to play nice with other folks who don't have the best interests of the salvation of souls in mind. I, I think there's all sorts of things that end up drawing priests and lay folks like us away from what we ought to be doing. But 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 I'm going to take the devil's advocate here for a minute. But Van, Landon, don't you understand... This correctio is just so important because there's this thing with the Morris Letitia that's out there that's just, and I don't mean to make fun of, I mean, it's legitimate criticism, but the, this is kind of how it works, is it starts the spin up of all your focus is on this impending doom. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i glad that the, the correctio and the dubia were published. I, I think that given the situation that we're in with the church and given the kind of weird circumstances historically where instead of popular priests being held 
to account for the things that they say. They're kind of just being left to go and say whatever they want, mm. um, really without any oversight or without any ramification to the things that they say. Mm-hmm. I think those those two things are really positive because they help reassure the faithful the faith isn't going anywhere and the faith is the same as it's always been. This isn't going to change. Um, and here are the reasons why. It's easy, I think, to get browbeaten into thinking, well, maybe I'm the one that's messed up, right? Especially if you aren't going to a typical parish every week. If you're going to, like you do a Melkite Rite parish or myself, a Latin Mass yeah. every every week, it, it can be tempting to feel like, well, are, are we the ones that got left behind? Are we the ones that just couldn't get with the times? And are we going to, 200 years from now, look like the, the folks who held out against heliocentrism? And I think what <laughs> is very helpful about the dubio and the, the uh, filial correction is that it helps remind us, no, there are really good reasons why we believe this stuff. And there's very good reasons to be attached to the things that we're attached to. And we're, we shouldn't be browbeaten into thinking we need to somehow conform ourselves to what's going on right now. Well, and I've said, you know, it's funny. There's a point in, it could just tie together some of the things you brought up there. You had James Martin running around a couple of years ago. Oh, we need to go out in the margins, you know, seizing that phrase from the Pope and applying it to as if, um, people who desire sex changes and transvestites and people engaged in, uh, uh, in, uh, uh, homosexuality are the only people marginalized by the, by the church. And when I look inside the church, the people that have been quieted the most, the people that are ignored the most, and the people that are kind of like stiff armed back to the corner and told to shut up are the, are the traditionalists. Yeah. I mean, if you want to talk about a marginalized people, you won't get any more marginalized yeah. being attached to the Latin mass. All you have to do is say it and you become radioactive. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to get into this part now. We're going to come back to this topic and I'm going to, I'm going to tease it right now uh, for our audience so that they know. And also because you and I hadn't discussed this, but I want to, I had this discussion with somebody. It was pretty interesting and it ties, it dovetails right into what we're talking about where uh, particularly now that Burke has been reappointed to the signatura and, and with these other things that are happening, he made comments about the SSPX with Society Pius X. And somebody made a comment to me. They said, you know, if it wasn't for the SSPX, we, we, the, the Latin Mass would not have been preserved. And I told him, I said, that's the wrong way to look at the question. Uh, I'm going to let our listener think about that for a minute. Is the question that whether the Latin Mass was preserved by the SSPX or not? And I think the question needs to be asked differently, and we'll come to that in a little bit. Now, back to uh, the flurry of church news and how that can disrupt our lives and what do you do about it. I think it's funny because, you know, always being around the wander, always kind of being in, in kind of living and dying on the future of whether pronouncements were made preserving, say, the Latin Mass or you know, bringing tr- uh, translations back to what they ought to be or the other things that have gone on through the years uh, and always being tied into these reports from the Vatican. For one thing, it's different than it's been in the past. You know, it's kind of this information rush that you just never had in the church. And yeah, you that- definitely have the ability to know a lot more than you did previously. And a lot of times you're being given information that may not be prudent or digested or may not even be correct. So you're yeah. getting all this information right at the time, 
and I, I, I don't want to point out anything in particular, but I can think back to a couple articles that tried to show very clear dissension in the Vatican that ended up having no basis or no factual grounding to them. I'm shocked. Shocked. I mean, we, we all know. I mean, we all know that there are issues in the Vatican. I think anyone who who doesn't doesn't know some of the the stuff that's going on there. I mean, there are serious issues, but I don't think anything's helped by piling on quasi accurate or outright false accusations about what's actually happening there. No, but I, you know, and it's it's funny too because it it's it's certainly another layer. I mean, everything today is weaponized. And, and, you know, I say that even, we can go into prayer intentions. You get it, you know, prayer intentions, you can go into a, some American parishes. And, and if, you know, let us, uh, let us ask the Lord to help those who don't have the wisdom to see the marginalized in society need to be welcomed. Let us pray to the Lord. You know, you get that kind of stuff going on. That's yeah. what I mean by like a weaponized prayer intention that something yeah. that's supposed to bring everybody together is actually dividing. And then yeah. this is, when when they become a, a platform for certain ideologies. Yeah, and then when you talk about well, there's uh, people that are um, that you know. I think that we talk about one of the American strategies for military strategies called the strategy of tension, where and this was. Uh, arguable if we did it first or if we picked it up from the Nazis or if it was uh, we were mimicking what Russia did and just improved it because we're American and we do it better. Uh, but you see in some of that news reporting, this strategy of tension, I think through the years has been used to keep groups that are close or that would have, that could have similar alignments. Take for instance, uh, the Novus Ordo Latin Mass versus the traditional Latin Mass. You know, I've seen yeah. through the years the tensions between those two groups exploited, basically to mm -hmm. keep them from having a single voice. Yeah. And I don't even think the people that are engaged in that sometimes realize that they're playing along with that sort of mess. And yeah, I mean, we're, we're really lucky to be at a diocesan parish that offers the Mass in English, Spanish, and the traditional Latin Mass. And so I think one remedy to that is having people united in a parish setting, or you think about a, a parish like St. John Cantius that has people united in a single setting, and I think it really helps break down those divisions. And it, to a large degree, I mean, and, you know, that was what I saw happen. The parish growing up for me was Old St. Mary's in Cincinnati, and they had English, they had Latin Mass first, then German Mass, then English. And uh, the parish history had been such that, and it was unique in this regard, and I thank God that I got to see this, because the Latin Mass that they had uh, previously in the 60s were, and prior, there had been Dominicans there. When the Dominicans okay. left, they just never stopped doing the Dominican rite. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, well, it was cool until uh, Polarczyk said, you can't do that anymore. Uh, it might have been Bernard. I think it was actually Cardinal Bernard that told him, well, at that time, Archbishop Bernard, that told him, you know, you can keep saying that. You can keep saying that Latin Mass, but you can't do it with that right because there's no Dominicans there. Mm. Uh, and then what had happened later on, Bernard got rolled up into Chicago. They had Polarczyk there. And Polarczyk, when Ecclesia Day had come along, 
this is something I should probably post on the, because uh, we found these things recently, letters that were written at the time back between Polarchic and the parishioners, all during the time when Ecclesia Day was coming out, it was right when uh, Lefebvre had done his thing. So it was all its stuff that was contemporary, contemporaneous yeah. to that. And it's kind of what we're talking about, but that was a parish, like you're saying, that had several different groups within it. You know, the Germans had the German mass and you know, it was an interface there between the Latin mass and the, and the German mass and different groups, same kind of idea because there wasn't any other German language mass in, 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 the, in the city at the time. So, um, yeah, but, but I think you bring up an important point, which is your parish there kept the Latin mass going throughout, throughout its time. Well, yeah. And that's why I call it a blessing because I got to at least, although I wasn't as, as aware at that time what all this would meant, I got to see people at the Latin Mass that never stopped saying it, that never, yeah. I got to see a place that actually kept continuity with it as it existed during Vatican II. I don't know that, I don't know anybody else my age, people in their 40s that, that could say that, other than, unless they yeah. went to that parish, and or unless their parents left and went to the SSPX uh, parish that eventually formed in, in, in Cincinnati as well. Because mm-hmm. a lot of them probably did. I mean, there were people around my age that were going there now and then. So they're out there somewhere. I don't even remember who all of them are. But um, a number of them stuck with the Latin Mass in Cincinnati that's at a different parish now. Now the Latin Mass is back at Old St. Mary's as well, but that's the Novus Ordo. Um, and I think now they're traditional. I have to get my... I, I'm a little bit mixed up at the moment thinking about it, but you wound up. I mean, another good example, stuff. another great example of this happening is uh, Marytown here in the Chicagoland area over in Libertyville. Mm-hmm. They've been saying the Latin Mass forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I want to say that they were saying the Latin Mass even before Ecclesia Day was promulgated and they were. It was more liberalized. I think they were also one of those locations that just kept saying it. I'm pretty sure that's right because I can remember people mentioning Marytown even early in the 90s when I was getting very active in discussing this stuff with people on the internet. So, Yeah, and, and it's fitting that the National Shrine of St. Maximilian Colby would preserve the Mass. Well, and the, the consecrated to Mary. Mary was leaving a place there. I mean, because it's something that's, you know, even Fulton Sheen brought up, it's something that never should have been swept to the gutter in that way. No. Um, we're kind of wandering into this Latin mass topic anyway, which I, I don't have a problem with, but to come back to our news idea, it's through seeing all these things through all the years and seeing the, the, the angst and the turmoil, because in some of those things, it did fall on people to act and do things. But let's take, for example, some of the stuff we see going on today. Um, you know, I don't really know what, uh, apart from praying, apart from being holy, apart from um, uh, things that are in my scope of what I can do anyway, there's nothing I could do to make Amoris Laetitia different. No, and I think it, it, it reminds me not to plug my own stuff because it's not particularly good, but oh. um, <laughs> a little while back I, I posted something on the Bellarmine forum about Marshall McLuhan and his his idea of the, the um, pattern. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think one of the things that we get overwhelmed with is this maelstrom of information around us. We have so much information, both positive and negative, that it, it sometimes can, can be overwhelming. And I, and I think you're right. What we can do is 
if we've got a family, keep our families focused on what we need to be doing. Say your rosary. Start picking up a novena. Um, it, it seems like our family's got a, a different novena just about every nine days. We're starting something new. Nice. Um, yeah, whether it's uh, St. We just finished up St. Benedict. Before that, we did St. Jude. And before that, we, uh, in connection with the Feast of the Nativity of St. John the Baptist, we did the novena of St. John the Baptist. But I think connecting and keeping that regular prayer life, connecting to those traditional things, those beautiful things, those good things that kept Christians throughout all the turmoil in the past, whether it was the fall of Rome or the difficulty of heresy coming up in the Middle Ages or even uh, after the, the Protestant revolt, that those sorts of actions are what kept us going. And I think we've got to just keep practicing those things. We can't get caught up in thinking we're going to do some great big grand gesture that's going to solve the problems in the church. Our job is to solve ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's a little more, a little less complex for me because I don't have children to, to bring up at this point and uh, I don't have a, a, a spouse with whom I need to keep harmony, but uh, it's just me and the dog, which, you know, in some ways presents its own challenges because uh, uh, a little bit different, but the same idea. I mean, at the end of the day, when I'm standing, you know, we're starting to head into the time of the year to be thinking about the four last things too. Yeah. And it's a good way to put this in perspective Amid all of this news going on in the church, I can't think of any of it I've heard in the last month, even though I've been busy taking care of the things of life, when I've gone back and looked at the church news that's going on to kind of fill in the gaps of stuff I might have missed, none of it would affect my judgment. No. Our Lord's not going to say to me, you know, uh, I'm sorry, John, you really dropped the ball when it came to that appointment of Burke. There's, yeah, not, I mean, there's nothing there. I mean, it's like, he will say to me, hey, were you attentive to me that day that that news came out? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I haven't seen anything that encouraged me to stop praying my rosary or stop praying for the holy souls in purgatory or stop asking for the intercession of the saints. And I think that's what we need to focus on, are those things that we can do in our own lives to reform ourselves to ensure that, you're right, when we stand before the great judge, that we're not saying, oh, well, what about all this turmoil that we had to deal with? Well, what what did you do to reform your own life? Well, it makes me think, <clears throat> pardon me, that, uh, like, the story in my office at work, I love it. I have a, a, a painting that just fell to the way, uh, to my office, and, and I'm glad it's there. It makes sense. Um, and it's the apostles on the boat during the storm. And, you know, what do the, the apostles tell our Lord? I love it. You know, this stuff's going, and it's awful. There's a bad storm. Boat's being tossed all over the place. And our Lord's just, like, sleeping on that thing. <laughs> and I love it. They're like, help us, Lord. We're perishing. You know, it's, 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 I, we all have that friend that's like, they, they get this thing, and they get this rumors online, and they find out that this cardinal's planning to do this, and that one's doing that. And they come to you, and they say, we're perishing, we're perishing. The end's coming now. And they, they get you caught up in that. They get you know you get yeah. the same energy going where you're like, oh my god, yeah, we're the boat's capsizing, we're going to be dead. <laughs> and you know, some people, I, I don't know. I think there's a temptation for some people because of the adrenaline. I don't know. There's got to be something with brain chemistry that it like feeds an addictive personality too. Because some people are like addicted on that feeling. And I, I think they I think can be, like, toxic. They're, like, spiritual vampires in some way because they, like, suck all your energy out to, like, feed their fears. 
Yeah, and again, to, not to not to put it on everyone else, I've definitely been that person, so I'll be the first one to raise my hand. And well, say, I've, I've I, not done a great job with that. <laughs> Why do you think I'm describing it so well? I'm talking about myself <laughs> and former times as well. I mean, and, and, and I recognize in that feeling that you, you start looking for, uh, it's almost like, you know, I guess in, in, in modern parlance, I, I think it's kind of funny because you'll hear people talk about the, what they call doom porn. Yeah. Yeah. So this happens in other aspects of life too, particularly with all the stuff going on with governments and everything. But I, I think it's acute when it comes to the church because by the time, and I think it's particularly acute when you get into Latin mass groups because people realize what really is at stake and they yeah. see the stakes so much higher. And that just adds to the temptation to be addicted to it. You know, it's because yeah. it's, it's all that much more important. And it is important. I don't mean by anything I'm saying, not to say that these aren't pivotal times. I mean, it's, you know, the Marian apparitions alone, the thing she's asked us to do with Fatima and everything, it's obvious these are pivotal times. I don't mean to belittle the, the weight of the times we live in, uh, but at the same time, at the end of the day, kind of what you keep repeating, Landon, it, you know, the responsibility, what God asks of you and of me is one, to be a faithful servant. And he hasn't put either one of us in charge of anything at the Vatican. So there's nothing we can do about that. So what we have to do is take care of the things in our own life, go to mass, follow our daily norms, keep our prayers, um, status in, you know, that doesn't have anything to do with, um, I don't know, spending all day worried about. Yeah, and there, there's so much, there's so much local work to be done that we actually do have influence over, that we actually can make changes on, and I think that's that's the stuff we need to be focused on. Well, it's funny you say that because I was trying to find a way to tie this back to the poll and, and saying the rosary at the border because there is something. And I made an allusion to um, Poland's past with Napoleon. And one of the things I felt, I love uh, some of these, and I have a friend that reads a bunch of them, and we talk back and forth, and he's come around a little bit more to see my point in this. But one of the things I, I accuse Poland of historically is choosing the wrong ally. And, and one of the ones I, I, I get so irritated over is, at the, is when they allied with Napoleon uh, against uh, and allow and to help assist Poland, uh, assist uh, France against Russia. Yeah. Had Poland uh, taken the Blessed Mother, or Lady Johnstohova, as their ally and told Napoleon, you're going to have to find another way to do this, that might have, like, even, that might have even prevented the French Revolution. Mm. You know, and we'd be, I, I, one of the sad things is we wouldn't have the 1812 overture at that point, but. <laughs> which for people who don't know one of the uh at the end of it when the cannons are going uh you hear the french the french patriots uh, national anthem and then the other tune that you're hearing is something that's called the troparion of the cross which in eastern churches is a hymn that's sung and it's oh lord save your people and bless your inheritance grant victory to your people uh, it goes on, and it's it, it's about the triumph of the cross, and and I just love it that in the eighteen twelve overture, the fight is the cross versus the French national anthem, the secular versus the cross. Yeah, and I feel sad that Poland picked the wrong side in that. 
So I was I was pleased that when because I've made this argument for years, I was pleased to see there's a major movement where they're getting back to Our Lady is our champion, Our Lady is our ally, Our Lady's the one that's going to help us. I'm like, yeah, okay, good Poland, you're getting back to where you need to be. But it's the same in our own lives. I've said it in, in, in past podcasts, and I'll say it again and again and again to encourage people to say the rosary because when Terry and I were on, we talked about it. I've seen, and I could tell story after story, where once I've devoted a cause, there's a problem in my life, or there's a problem that I see. And once I've dedicated myself or promised early, I'm going to say a rosary a day to, until that's solved. I've seen miracles happen to solve problems. Yeah. And it's made me understand that when St. Maximilian Colby talks about it, when Padre Pio talks about it, when all these saints of the church go on and on and on, about Mary's powerful intercession. It's real. It's for us. It's today. Well, it's our way of dealing with the world that we live in right now. Yeah. So when you said by taking care of these little things that we do, we can influence that big stuff, I believe it. But it's not going to be through... Um, I don't know if it's going to be through frenzied comments on on on, on Reddit or... I don't know. If, I don't. You know, I don't know. If, that's good for communication. It's good for people to hammer ideas out. I don't mean to belittle it that way, but it doesn't really solve problems. Yeah. Uh, back to this. Back to this idea. It's funny. We were talking about a little bit of alternate history, and you know, I'll come back to this question about cause it kind of dovetails in here. It's kind of nice how this is happening. We mentioned the SSPX earlier, and I said, you know, some people said, well, it was good for them. And I get where they're coming from, because there's six, there are, what, you know, how many priests in France and in, in Europe that wouldn't have been there? And in the United States, the situation is a little bit different, because you have this kind of motion of the Latin here. But you have this parallel of the Latin in the SSPX. And in a lot of ways, they're kind of like the Orthodox, because they're like, we don't know that we could reunite because Rome's just going to stamp us out. And that plays into this idea, even that I see, where people say, well, if Lefebvre wouldn't have done that, we wouldn't have the Latin Mass today. When I was encountered, when I encountered that idea even today with somebody I was talking to, I said, that's the wrong question. The right question to ask is, how much more Latin Mass would we have had had Lefebvre not ordained those priests until he was was uh, ordained those bishops until he had permission? Yeah, I mean, if you look at what SSPX did beyond just the the issues at the time, was it really confirmed all the worst suspicions, which is that the Latin Mass is for people who are schismatic and they're all holdouts and they are secretly disobedient. It, it confirmed every single bad stereotype people wanted to have about the Latin mass. That's one of the, yeah, that's one of the bigger, and that's where I think that that's one of the bigger problems with it. I think that the other one on the other end of it is this idea that, you know, somebody, their, their retort to me, and this was good, we weren't really arguing with each other, we were arguing in the classical sense, where we were sparring with ideas to, to, to try to hone an edge out. And he had a good retort, and I'd like to think that I, I came back, he, he 
said that whatever was, how is he different than from Joan of Arc? Because Joan of Arc was disobedient, and we have canonized uh, people who had been excommunicated. I said the difference between Joan of Arc and Bishop Lefebvre is that Joan of Arc wasn't ordained and didn't have uh, duties to be obedient. Yeah. Yeah, so you can't compare Joan of Arc to that and then suddenly lionize Lefebvre for this. I guess that's kind of where my, why I think the question is better asked. How much better position would we have been in had Lefebvre waited? And people said, yeah, well, they weren't we, going to do it. They were going to stamp it out. And I said, you don't know that. And we see the examples of the Latin Mass continuing on in places like England. Mm-hmm. And and we see the pockets that had risen up, like your parish, or we think of Marytown, and there were certainly other places that kept the Latin Mass going. So the kind of idea that a, gr- a group that that disobeyed the Pope, disobeyed the rules of the church, were somehow also the guardians of the faith, it just doesn't doesn't hold water for me. No, and you know, well, it's funny, you, you, the, the guardians of the faith thing too. I'm like, how can you, you, you know, it brings me right back to, I have a, a, a oh, his name's coming, Fish on Friday's priest, uh, the Noah, Noah Salas, extra ecclesiam, uh, oh, Feeney. That's it. Feeny. I couldn't think of his name. That's awful. Yeah, I've had a cold for a couple of weeks, so I, I don't know. I think my brain's still catching up. But the Feenyites came up with this. And, you know, they were right. But then some of these Feenyites that came after Father Feeny, I don't think he I don't think he ever wanted this either. But you have the Sede group that's comprised of the Feenyites, and, and they almost have the same approach, that the only way to preserve the faith is by making this thing outside of the church. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's that tendency to say, hey, we're the true remnant of the faithful and everyone else has abandoned the faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, that, can't, that can't exist. I mean, in the case yeah. of the Feniites, by their, they know it from, by what they proclaim. It's almost like, a, uh, it's almost like a, a, a slap in the face that they would do that in that way. Yeah. And then, you know, you get the arguments, the counter-arguments always, well, they point out the corruption in the Vatican or the other problems that are there. But they're almost... How is that any different than the Protestant argument? Well, and it's all, I was going to say, it's almost this problem of getting caught up in the church news taken to an extreme. There's no way this stuff can get fixed unless I fix it. Yeah. So you see the pride play in there. And I wonder if St. You know, with his feast day tomorrow, I wonder if St. Francis, had he taken that attitude, would we, you know, would we have a Marytown? Would we have a number of the other things that are there because of them? I, I, don't, yeah. think we, I don't think we, you know, it's, you could almost look at St. Francis as the flip side of Lefebvre. Yeah, the, the one who reformed the church from within in precisely the way that our Lord asked. And it's not like he wasn't told not to do things. It's not like he wasn't like, they weren't trying to silence the guy or put him down. I mean, you can't, that's what the argument I had about Lefebvre when people say, well, you know, he would have been gone, he would have died, and this thing would have died out. And I'm like, you don't know that. It's it's fundamentally a, a lack of trust in Our Lady and Our Lord that he was going to persevere and keep the faith alive. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, well, that's like the argument I had with the seventh day Adventist that came, the college girl, and she was selling the books. I guess, what they do is they send them out to missionize and, and they sell books, I guess, um, and it helps fund their college. But I had to ask her, you know, the Seventh-day Adventists believe, they're one of the ones that believes that uh, the, the original apostles were right. And then around the time of Constantine, something went wrong and this false faith was made. And suddenly, nobody found this true faith until the 19th century. Yep. And I asked her, I said, do you want me to believe that God abandoned this church for 19 centuries for real? And she looked at me like, I don't think she'd ever thought of the question that way. Yeah. I said, I have a hard time believing that God came here to make a church and he just decided to leave it alone for that much time. And that's what some of these people, I, I think, you know, they look in the face of all this bad news and this flux of stuff that's happened. And, and they think that it's almost like, you know, not to go too far afield here, but... You've heard it where people say, well, God helps those who help themselves. Yeah. I find that to be a repugnant phrase. Um, I, I completely agree. But it's like they've taken the church things in it. It's like, well, God helps the churches who make themselves. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's and, and in some ways, it's the root of Americanism, that heresy that Leo Thirteen mm-hmm. so forcefully called out. Mm. I, you know, it's... it's it, it, I guess, uh, um, back to the news topic, though. I'm kind of glad, you know, the past month has had me so busy with handling life, and that's what we were talking about. I'm kind of glad even when I look back through it, because it's better to look at the summaries. But I've seen all this stuff that's been going on, and I've had people bring stuff up to me now and then with all these details. It's kind of nice I haven't even had to be cluttered up with a lot of it recently. Yeah. I don't think my spiritual life has been harmed at all. Because I don't know, you know, you, I, yeah, I don't know. You could bring up something that happened in the middle of September, and I'd be like, "Really? I didn't know that." But it didn't harm me. Not yeah, <laughs> as long as you got to mass and said your rosary. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and then, you know, I like to think, given some of the things I've done, I actually did uh, uh, a, a lot of uh, soul fulfilling work in uh, September. So thanks be to God yeah. for that too. Um. So where does it leave us? I mean, you know, I kind of feel like we're kind of like open-ended on this. We kind of came into it with kind of a loose goal. But, I mean, I guess if somebody's listening to this and they're hearing it, and you know, I, I see like the one character we brought up earlier. There's a character, that one person that it doesn't matter what you and I talk about. They're still going to be wound up over and waiting for this thread of this news to resolve. And if this guy just does that, they have every contingency figured out like... uh it's like the Pentagon planning. You know, I don't think we, I don't think talking about it's going to really change those people, but I think there's a lot of people that are, that will be listening that do get tempted into, and I mean, let's face it, these are confusing times. When you look at, like, Pope Francis can, 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 can certainly, you know, there's people that have really strong opinions about Pope Francis, and even some people think he's the anti Pope and stuff like that. Uh, but even if he was, let's just, uh, I mean, let me just throw that at you for a minute, Landon. Let's just say some of those people are right. What does it mean for you and me? Yeah, does it change the obedience that we owe him? Or does it, I mean, for now... Does, it change, does it change the reality that we're still called to be united to 
the bark of Peter under the Vicar of Christ? Yeah, I don't think so. I, I mean, I, even if the worst possible things you could conceive of are true about Pope Francis, he's still no. our Holy Father, and we still owe him obedience. Yeah. God has called us to be obedient to much worse people than that. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing, too. I, I guess, you know, if it were the case, and if that were, let's say that truly was, and we've had any popes in the past and uh, legacies that needed to be cleaned up and stuff like that, but at the same time, you know, I, I would think God could, you know, there's plenty of anecdotes about God taking other leaders out before they could do things wrong. I would think when it comes to his church, he could do the same thing there. That's kind of what I look at. It's like, well, do you think God's really going to let the whole church just be taken down the drain? You know, and that's, I, I think that's the, that's the thing that some people are sitting on the edge of their seat as they're like waiting for doom. They're waiting for yeah. the whole thing to happen. And I don't think at the end of the day, um, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, when I when I heard the news that earlier, well, I guess it was in mid-September, as a matter of fact, when the support of translations was turned back to something that the bishops' conferences could handle, and I had a little bit of time, I, I saw it somewhere on Facebook, and it might have actually been Father James Martin was like praising this change by uh, Pope Francis that everybody was looking at it to kind of undo some more pontificorum. But what I thought was strange is people's comments were saying, good, I, I, I can't say consubstantial. And I thought, what's wrong with people on the other side of this? That, you know, if that's the, what the church says, you get it from the liberals that they, there's like no obedience to it. And I thought from the other end, this is, I think, how the news kind of does the same thing. So you have one side of, uh, of the of the tension where people are like, "Oh, good, I want to get back to the easy language and stuff." But then the other side, when I heard people I'm sympathetic with discussing this news, they were basically had already resigned themselves that we're going to go right back to the ISIL text, and you know the end is here, and well, all that was for nothing. Yeah, I mean, it, it reminds me of some of the stories you hear about people right after the council who, for example, went into holy orders or joined religious communities anticipating that they were going to be allowed to marry soon or yeah, that yeah. the fundamentals of their life were going to change. And they didn't. And it kind of strikes me that that's the situation that we're in now where everyone thinks they've got figured out what the end trajectory is of this thing. On both sides. Oh, yeah. And and it seems to me that the Holy Spirit has a tendency to do things in ways that we really don't anticipate. Um, I got I to gotta admit one thing that, that I think is the left does better, or that the progressives or the modernists do better than, than the right does. Um, and that is to project a unified image of their goal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I bet that was two years ago now. I posted the featured image for it was Tales of Tomorrow, but it was a post from, uh, and it was mostly centered around this image that had been published in the National Catholic, uh, the Fish Wrap, the Distorter Reporter. 
and it was the Church of Tomorrow, and it had this, uh, you know, they had a felt banner that said all are welcome, and they had uh, uh, gay couples pr prancing into the church, and a rainbow, and all that stuff, and, you know, when, when they say what they want, there's not a lot of dissension on their side, which shows you the totalitarian, you know, that they really are born of Marxists or of hell because nobody's allowed to have their own ideas. Yeah. But when you look at, you know, it's almost the, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to resort to hyperbole, but I really do mean it because I've seen it so long when it comes to people that want the Latin mass or everything, everybody has a different idea. It's like you go person to person. There's like almost no unified idea. And people, even people, when people say, we want the Latin mass back, well, they start fighting over what that means, too. Yeah, in a lot of ways, we're our own worst enemy. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I mean, and some of it's endearing because some of the stuff should be argued and thought about. And, but at the same time, it's kind of like, there is no... Apart from the one image that comes in and out, that you see going in and out, I don't know if you and I talked about it last time we were on. It's kind of this golden era of the 50s that's going to come back and all of a sudden everything's yeah. going to be right. That yeah, we're trying to restore some bygone era that never actually existed. Yeah. That seems to be the only thing that's like common or that you can get like as a common thread out of this. Yeah. You know, and I've even tried to, I, I don't know, uh, put my own... Uh, uh, divining rod, so to speak, on on the the winds of the church, and try to figure out what is this. Well, I don't know, Lord, what is this thing really going to look like uh, twenty years, thirty, fifty years from now? And when you, I guess when you you know you look at Our Lady, you look at Our Lord, and you realize fifty years from now there's still going to be a Catholic church there. Benedict looked at it and said it'll be a lot smaller. It has to be. Um. And I, think and I think a lot of the external trappings are going to look very different. I think a lot of the things that we take for granted as the church are not going to be around. I wonder if that's what Benedict was talking about, too. You know, the, the you know the grandeur and the big things and the long history. and the. Um, I mean, certainly in America, I mean, American history starts with a person's birth. But I look at some of the parishes that have been built even, or like the one that's out there in... Uh, uh, Las Vegas, yeah, that church of the, you know, it's a solar temple, uh, in my opinion. Um, I have to put that in my opinion there because otherwise, you know, that's what uh, get, guarantees my First Amendment and uh, basically protects me from a libel claim. But um, I think 50 years from now, people will recognize what it is. And if the thing's not gutted and changed, it'll be, it'll be uh, a non-denominational Christian church or it would be a bank. Uh, it won't be a church. It's not feasible. It can't survive. That that sort of chimera just can't live for long. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. But I mean, that's kind of my whole thing. You know, I, this now this is a topic we could talk about forever. And you mentioned it earlier, but I mean, it's what several years back I heard a parish priest talking to another parish priest, and one was asking the other. Uh, one of the priests has a large Spanish group that uh, has been forming at his parish. And he's talking about how great it is. And that's the future of the church. And, you know, it's marvelous because the other people are, 
I listened and I listened and I listened and I had two thoughts about all that. And it took me a little bit to process everything that was being said. But the first thing I thought of is how much this poor priest has been led astray by the bishops. You know, what's our Lord's example? It's of the good shepherd. The one sheep that's lost, the shepherd goes to all extents to bring back. And when I look at the ethnic groups who were here, the Poles were the future of the church. The Irish were the future of the church. The Italians were the future of the church. The, they were, all these immigrant groups were the future of the church together. And they've all been abandoned in this process of uh, reform and post-Vatican II uh, felt banners and, and welcoming and, uh, what do they call it? Worship and community and all the words of the, of the progression. And it makes me realize that same meat grinder of Amchurch is taking the children of the Spanish immigrants and destroying their faith and allowing them to atrophy the same way these others will. And it made me think, 20 years from now, none of them will be going to Catholic Church either. Oh, yeah. they And it may hit them harder than it has other groups. Oh, I think it will. For all the reasons they say we should welcome them, that they're disadvantaged, that they have, they're starting with less, that they're doing so many things. Yeah, because at least, and I mean, when I look at, you know, people I grew up with, a number of whom I, I look at my grade school class and, you know, not many practice their Catholic faith anymore, but at least they had a beautiful Catholic parish and things that were impre that impressed on them at an early age. What could be? Yeah. These poor people are coming in where they get, you know, concrete blocks in a worship space. Yeah. With guitars and every other yeah. fad that they can think of. You know, and per perhaps some of it, I think for a while I used to think not so, it wasn't so bad because the accommodations being made to make, uh, to bring these people in and, uh, you know, or... Steve Bannon had said that, that you know this, they were looking at it to keep the church pews up, and you kind of see that with the way some of these parishes go to great extents, even sacrificing some of their liberal liturgy in the name of meeting those cultural needs of those people. In other words, making the liturgy a little more conservative to be appealing to them in order to get them yeah. in the pews. I used to think, Lord, you're you're so clever because here you are twisting their own progressive ideology into itself to serve your needs. But I think as time goes on, I'm like, that might have worked for a little while, but I don't see it because the same bad catechesis, the same uh, stuff is affecting them. It's just being done in the Spanish language instead of English. Yeah, and I think the reality is what will survive of Catholicism, what will survive of the church is nothing short of complete, total, full-throated Catholicism. We're not going to see this kind of halfway, syncretized, partial, kind of weird mix of Catholicism that we tend to be so used to, especially in the United States. Mm -hmm. That's not going to last. What's going to last are these places and these, these communities that have... Catholicism the way it ought to be, the way Catholicism actually looks like, not inundated with all these other um, hangers-on or all these other attachments. Mm -hmm. The only place it's going to survive are these parishes and these communities 
that are full-throated, that are complete, that have completely offered themselves over to the Catholic faith. Because anything less than that is not going to survive. Do you see many, you know, your, your involvement, and you see more non-Latin Mass kind of parishes. Do you see many parishes outside of Latin Mass parishes that are like that, though? Not a whole lot. I, don't I can think of a couple, but not a whole lot. And even those couple that are not Latin Mass parishes tend to have some sort of connection there, some sort of attachment there. Mm-hmm. And I think the reality is you really can't have that without the Mass. <laughs> right, right. You can't have that full-throated, deep, complete Catholicism with a Mass that's only 50 years old. That's just never going to work. The, the most reverent, beautiful version of that is still always going to come short. Ultimately, what's going to draw people in, what's going to draw people back, what's going to be a foundation is that mass that's always been celebrated. Now, that can't be the only thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's a firm foundation, but you can't build a house with foundation alone. You, you need the edifice on top of it. But well, that's, that's got to be what there. I'm wondering. And, you know, I see some of these parishes in the... Uh, probably the best example of it, let me... I'm trying to I'm trying to sanitize what it is so that people can't place it what parish I'm talking about. I'm I'm aware of uh, the place I've seen through the years, uh, plain old plain Jane American uh, parish, and it has a very active. I want to call this like the. Uh, it's not an entirely dedicated charismatic group, but everybody that's in it would identify as being charismatic. Yeah. And they have the Bible study and they do, um, they have, uh, there's about half of that group is also highly involved with people who don't go to the Bible study, but are involved in the pro-life thing. And, and, it's not that I don't want anybody to hear this out of context and think that I'm, I'm I'm making fun of these interests, but it's almost like this pattern that I've seen in many cities, and that's why I think by sanitizing it a little bit, I'm describing a parish that's around, and it's usually heralded as a good conservative. That's a strong Catholic parish, but when when you kind of peel back some of the onions, some of the onion layers, you, you see that there's you know, focus on, there's a pro-life group, that's great. There's a Bible study, uh, you know, sometimes I get a little nervous about the Bible study stuff, particularly because it's often lay-led by people that, you know, and it makes me, yeah, I don't know, I just think of old people I knew growing up, and they're like, that's Protestant. You know, in a lot of ways it is. I mean, I think charismatics make their own, make a new sacrament that, um, I've written about before, but that's kind of, and then when, you know, there may be, there may be some Marian devotion that goes around that kind of ebbs and flows with it, but you never kind of get the sense that, that, that it's important to it. And, you know, there's a lot of people that go there, but you kind of, this form of a parish I'm thinking of in several cities, I'm, I'm thinking of different parishes they're almost always the place that where there's this like this climber element that's there too. And and I look at it and I'm like, there's nothing there's nothing going on here that would attract somebody who isn't already into it to come there. Yeah. And you talk about scratching at that thin veneer. 
Mm-hmm. The real way to tell with, because I know exactly what you're talking about. It's, it's like you described, it's like you described specific parishes in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was, um, I was trying to, I, there's like, there's, you know, I think bigger cities have a couple parishes that are like it, but I think you'll find that parish in almost every diocese. Yeah, but but the, the, I think when you, if you really want to pull back that veneer, if you really want to scratch underneath the surface, what you'll ultimately get, what you'll ultimately find, is when those groups, when those people are confronted with real Catholicism, they recoil against it. That's what I was searching for a way to... They, they recoil against those things that are actually uniquely, particularly Catholic. Mm-hmm. When they're confronted with it, it horrifies them. They don't want to have anything to do with it. Now, some of these places, it's kind of interesting. Some of them I've seen pick up some Marian devotion. And I think that may change them over time. Um, you know, they'll, they'll go out of the way to have a first Saturday Mass, and then usually there's a rosary and stuff. And you see some more involvement with the rosary. And, 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 and I think that's Mary's way of, you know, if I trust in her, she'll bring them to something. But I keep looking at them like, they're not going to get there if they keep singing... Uh, gather us in yeah but they're completely content to stay where they're at yeah 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 okay that's probably see my uh my cold fettered mind couldn't get to this part of it i'm not as sharp as usual but that contentment and like you said even when they're confronted with traditional orthopraxis or something that would cause them to stretch out of the status quo to improve it they'll reject it yeah. And it makes me nervous. It makes me think, well, there's a, there's an entirely different church that's formed here. It calls itself Catholic. It has all this stuff in practice. It's got a bunch of things that individually, like I'm saying, yeah, I think, I think pro-life activity and pro-life action is clearly important and ought to be done. So, I mean, you can't fault them for these things, but kind of like when you dig and you scratch, you kind of wonder, is this place really Catholic? And, and I get kind of, and when I contrast that to um, the parish I knew growing up, there's something clearly different going on there. Even when I like overhear people talking, I mean, it's not like uh, everybody outside my parish growing up was like talking about St. Thomas Aquinas and some of the theologian and all these, you know, one guy might be talking about he's got to mow the lawn and like ordinary stuff and another one's talking about using power drills or and some people are talking about what's going on in the church and that stuff kind of flipped around topic to topic when you go to uh, some of these let's call it the uh, the, the, the Nouveau Am Church Parish it's kind of strange to me because you, some of these it's almost like uh, boy you know, it's hard with that. I, I just got to go here. It's almost like the Stafford Wives movie where you feel like the, the discussions are sanitized and allowed to be on certain topics. And that's it. Well, I, I think it kind of self-selects, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, it's not that there's some singular force controlling it. It's that these people all self-select to kind of be with themselves. And it, it strikes me that, that I, I know that that sounds kind of silly, but it's no, no, no. I, I know exactly what you mean because it's it it is, and it goes right back to what I was talking about with the climbers. Cardinal Ratzinger talks about this in in one of his books. I think it's in called the Communion, 
um, he's talking about what distinguishes Catholicism from Protestantism. Uh-huh. And one of the points that he makes is that Protestantism is a is a religion, is a movement that's founded on a bunch of like-minded people, all agreeing to be like-minded on a bunch of different topics and joining together to create a church. Right. Whereas Catholicism is completely the opposite, right? You have this foundation on Christ and on the sacraments and on this ecclesial body. And as a result of that, you have a common set of beliefs, common views, common ideas. But but it's almost like this kind of weird, almost Twilight Zone church that you're talking about flips that. Yeah. Here are yeah. the people that fit in, and they all kind of think the same way, and they all part their hair on the same side, and they all wear the same color clothes, that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think it's a good way. And, you know, it's... It, that's a good way of expressing you brought it around. I was being very polite, but I know how older people I know would react to what they see at those parishes. And they'd say, that's Protestant. Yeah. And, you know, there's where Ratzinger himself would say, yeah, that's Protestant. Um, yeah. And it is. It's, it's kind of, while you were saying that, it made me go back to what we were talking about earlier about the difference between the, 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 the left progressive presenting a unified idea and the right you know, and I guess it's really the way it's always going to be. Yeah, and, There is you know, no unified idea except for the creed. Isn't that what yeah. Chesterton said? You know, we agree on the creed and disagree on everything else. <laughs> Probably something pretty close. Yeah. But it's funny because you look at, you look at Catholicism and that's not what Catholicism looks like. Um, I, had the, I had the opportunity last week to uh, go up to St. Ida's Church in Chicago. It's a Archdiocesan parish, but it's run by the Conventual Franciscans, the same group that runs Marytown. Mm-hmm. And they had there from 9 a.m. till 7 p.m., or a little bit after. That was uh, for Anthony, is that was everywhere yeah. he says Marytown? Um, he, he's not at that parish, but he's connected to that Okay, group. okay. Um, they had the relics of Padre Pio there, all day. Oh, yeah. And, and I saw some you, of your pictures. I saw pictures of people talking about, okay. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll tell you, what I saw come through those doors doesn't look anything like your typical suburban parish on a Sunday morning. Mm. I saw just about every subset of society walk through the, those doors. Mm. We saw the richest of the rich. We saw truly the poorest of the poor. Young families, old families, just about every race that you could imagine quite a few different religions actually walking through the door. Mm. But what bound the Catholics there together was this love for this saint and this care for this church and this true belief that God would reward their servanthood if they came and piously, devoutly adored these relics. Mm -hmm. And it's something that if you were to take that and put that in a, a typical suburban setting or show these people that we're talking about this sort of setup. It freaks them out, right? It, it weirds them out that you've got these Franciscans standing there holding relics that have the blood of the stigmata on one side and the scabs from Padre Pio's hands on the other. You, you know, and, and, and I get it. Yeah, it weirds me out, too. I, I'm kind of like, but you know what? I love Padre Pio. And yeah, if I mean, if it was if those relics were in my town, I would definitely go. You know, I, yeah. But yeah, and, and like, and I think it's okay for us as Catholics to be like, 
yeah, we're kind of weird. That's kind of <laughs> odd. And, and I can objectively say, like, if this were another religion, I'd kind of look at it askew and be like, really? Do you guys do that? But the reality is, that's what our faith is. I mean, I, I got to see, I got to stand there all day and watch the faces of these pious people come through and truly lay their cares, lay themselves there at, at these relics and ask for this intercession and really, truly use Padre Pio as their conduit, as their means to attach themselves to God. Mm -hmm. These people were really, really devout and truly believed what, what they were doing. Uh, of everything that I saw there, I didn't see any, any simulation. There was no one that was there just faking it. And part of the reason is, who's going to come down on the middle of a Tuesday in the middle of the day to fake it? Well, <laughs> not just that. I mean, it's kind of funny because what would be there to fake? You either want to go look at his scabs or you don't, you know? Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing you gain from going to go look at, like, some old raggedy uh, gloves and scabs and some blood-stained stuff. Yeah, but, I mean, the devotion that I saw there, people pulling out their... Um, their rosaries to touch to the relics or pulling nice. out their holy cards to touch to the relics. Or the one guy who had the entire backpack full of scapulars. I really hope that it was out of like pious devotion. He's not like selling them on eBay. Afterwards. I was just going to say, we're going to have to look on eBay <laughs> and see what those scapulars are going for. <laughs> but, but the reality is if you want to see what Catholicism looks like, if you want to see that full throated committed deep Catholicism, that's what it looks like. Yeah. And it looks like you're right. All these ethnic folks from all different walks of life coming through and really sacrificing their time to go into a church that was over 90 degrees to mm -hmm. kneel on hard marble and, and find a way to unite themselves to our Lord through that. You know, it's funny when it you was were touching. talking about that, when we were talking about what these relics actually were, it made me just think of uh, the Magi coming to the stable and seeing the wisdom yeah. in it. And, and, and the humble means our Lord came in and, and the humble means like that of here's, here's Padre Pio, clearly holy. I mean, I love so many stories about Padre Pio. Oh, here's another one that said, use your rosary as a weapon, by the way. Um, and then have you ever heard that story where the devil was attacking him and, and his, his guardian angel was just like, and here's Padre Pio fighting this devil that like had manifested and was fighting with him. And, his, and rather than helping him, his guardian angel is like rolling around singing. And he's like angry at his guardian angel for not helping him and eventually <laughs> vanquished this demon with his rosary. And uh, I've always thought that's kind of funny. I'm like, I'm glad that I haven't hit such mystical heights that my guardian angel believed me to be strong enough to fight demons without his help. So, <laughs> yeah, at least for me, I kind of look at that and I'm kind of like, no, 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 guardian angel. You know better than that. I need your help. And actually, I prefer it if you take care of it for me. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's Catholicism. That's what's going to survive. I, I agree with that. And that's kind of what I keep wondering, too. I've, I've been nervous at times that when I look at 
kind of what I see. And I have these discussions with some people that around the Latin Mass things that makes me nervous because some of what I see in some Latin Mass places that I've been and been familiar with the people that are, are trying to do right. No, it's not, let's get this part straight. But you see like this strange kind of, well, the girls walk in and they, they, they kind of all start wearing frumpy dresses and they um, carry their, their missile between their hands, like, but they, they carry it up close to their chin and walk with their head kind of down like they're a Mennonite or something. And I'm like, I don't know where this became part of uh, showing reverence at Mass or anything like that. And it's kind of strange because you see it in different cities. Like somebody's yeah. teaching people to do this and what makes me nervous about it is I almost see this fake kind of culture building up around it the way I see in that parish I described. Yeah. And, and I'm like, uh, and it's made me nervous at times. That's what what is driven like my questions to our Lord. Like, what are we really going to see in like 20 years, 30 years? Is, is it going to be, uh, you know, Father Hardin had made comments that he believed just 50 people that truly believed what the Blessed Sacrament was could change America overnight. Yeah. Uh, and I believe that. And I, and I wonder a lot of times, uh, and I've told our Lord that, I'm like, I think I've met 50 people that really do believe that, so why aren't things different? Um, and I don't know if they are, and we're not seeing it. I don't know if it is because, you know, people like, I've met people Maybe like Maybe it's a question and, we asked earlier. How much worse would things have been without those 50 people? That's true, too. I mean, yeah. I've seen just how far worse it could be, um, even right there in Cincinnati, the things, you know, that I saw or heard of at different places. And, I mean, even in high school they had, or I guess it was a little bit later, I can remember hearing about this one parish, and it made no sense because there were priests around, but allegedly out of the priest shortage, allegedly. They didn't have a parish built. The, the, the parish had an administrator who was happened to have been, a, um, she claimed to be a nun, but didn't wear a habit or anything like that, and would do the communion service on Sundays, but actually people said there was like a mass kind of thing that was done instead. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, you hear things like that, and you're like, Okay, this is what Crowley talked about. This is the Gnostic Mass. This is, there's like witchcraft. And then you hear the other kind of stuff, the allegations, or even what people, you know, if people saw this person, you know, I could take the cruder statements of some of my friends as they would know right away that this woman that claims to be a, monk, a nun also appears to be homosexual. You know, and then you piece all that together and you're like, wow, okay, this is what was creeping in and I'm seeing less of that does it mean things are getting better I don't know yeah I mean I think it really is that question that you posed earlier I mean what would the church look like without Latin mass communities that we have what would the church look like without the, that core group of faithful I mean I, I got the chance to go to Father Anthony's uh, Fatima talk back in September mm -hmm. on September 13th um, and he absolutely nailed his talk. He did a fantastic job. And we concluded... Did you record the, uh, Um I didn't, but I suspect if you were to ask him very nicely, he, might he would have probably be willing to send you the notes that he spoke from. Awesome. Okay. Put up on the, on the forum. 
Better yet, I'll just get him on to tell me about him on a podcast. <laughs> He'll just read it for you, word, word for word. <laughs> but we, we concluded, as, as has been the, the practice down at St. John Cantius, with a procession through the streets. Um, and this one was from St. John Cantius to Holy Trinity, which is the Polish-language parish. Uh-huh. A little under a mile away. I was, was going to guess a mile, okay. It, it, it was beautiful. Yeah. Again, it was that full-throated deep, full, real Catholicism because you had these people from all walks of life walking through the streets of Chicago, traffic stopped, onlookers just kind of gawking at what they're seeing, mm-hmm. not, not really even knowing what they're seeing or how to process what they're seeing. As the Blessed Mother leads the way through the streets and the rosaries prayed after her. You see stuff like that and you go, that's what's going to turn things around. That's what's going to keep the church going. Bingo. There was it's a post I put in, and people be... can find it on the Bellarmine Forum website. If you go to the search boxes down by the footer and you put in processions, and I had written a post and, and borrowed heavily from it, but the Bellarmine Forum Catechism that's up, there's a section on public processions, and it talks about the value to the public. And even just the exercise itself of how it strengthens the faith of the participants to make this public act of faith. It's an act of faith that's done, and not only is it rewarded by our Lord with the grace for having gone through with it, but this public act of worship of our Lord does something for the community that that church is in, too, because it's a statement, it's, you know, like an AWTN back at Assumption, I love it every year, because we bring the Blessed Sacrament all around the grounds. There's a procession and a blessing of the facilities. And it, it, I love it because the, our Lord, you know, how great would that be? Just think about that. Here's a Blessed Sacrament that came into my office. You know, and everybody sees it. They see our Lord coming through. And I, I, I always joke, I'm like, uh-oh, I better, the boss is going to be in my office today. Better clean up. <laughs> yeah, it's literally the. I mean, it's literally the thing, and it's like you know, my mind goes back to it now, and then it's like, well, good, Lord, you've been in here, you know what I deal with. How cool is that? It's the same yeah. thing with taking our Lord or the Blessed Mother or processions like that out into the public around the church. You know, it's the same kind of idea because it it, it acts on the mind of the believer who does it that these places are for this yeah, and like and you said the onlookers look at it and they're like these people believe this so much that they're willing to go marching down the street with it yeah uh, bringing those holy things into the house is really really important um, mm-hmm. we, we just put a little holy water font near the door and it's funny because my youngest daughter is the one who's really attached herself to this Nice. If you if you walk out that door without crossing yourself with holy water, she she's going to be on you until you go back in. Make sure you cross yourself. Nice. And, and she's going to be the one every time we walk out the door to to say, "Hey, not only am I going to cross myself, I'm going to say a little Hail Mary just to show God how much I love Him." Yeah. And I think that bringing those sorts of things into the house and making those a normal part of the family life, that's what's going to get us through whatever news, whatever difficulties we struggle with, all the issues that we come up with, that's what's going to keep us going. Well, I certainly don't disagree with that. And I love it because I love little stories like that because 
she's going to remember that the rest of her life. And it'd be funny yeah. because that's one of those things when I've talked about ethnic, ethnic uh, uh, traditions as being a framework that the, the, the faith can hang on and just to bring back what you brought up about uh, uh, oh, McLuhan earlier and the pattern. Yeah. That's one of the things when yeah. I, you know, probably one of the, I don't know that, but what really killed the church in, in, in America is a post that I've had in it. You know, that thing, it, it comes and goes with traffic, but like somebody finds it and they tell their friends about it and all of a sudden, you know, I'm getting a bunch of traffic on it. But it's really true what I said in it. When we had an Italian parish and little Vinny, um, he learned he didn't really know any better, but when all the women in the family made a big deal out of making bread and stuff to take there for St. Joseph, and it happened every year, and it didn't matter, and he had to like bite his tongue and walk to church with them. That stuff, when he was you know 50 and 60 and questioning his faith, those things were like normal to him. Yeah. And it provided a framework for God to work on him in his life because, you know, even when Terry and I were talking, you know, the, I, there's certain things that have to happen. I have to get the, the, it's such now that I have to get the food blessed for Easter or nothing's right in the world. Yeah. You know, and then people, uh, uh, Chicago is certainly an area uh, down in uh, Detroit's another area where you had uh, Polish churches, you know, people go out of their way. And you, you get people, this kind of thing you see around an ethnic thing, where people that are hardly practicing, they still will get their food blessed because things aren't right unless they do. Yeah. You know, we call them Christmas and Easter Catholics, and we like to, to pick on them as a group, but I think that was the problem in America, is that's all they had become, is Christmas and yeah. Easter Catholics, because their parish didn't give them any of the other ethnic things that would keep them coming back. Yeah, and those things are really important. Yeah, and those little practices in the house. I mean, yeah, we've really, really, really gone far. Um, I'm looking for a way to to, to, to bring us to a, a, a natural end to the topic today. I, I want to talk again when we talk next time. I want to bring up this stuff that's going on with Fatima and these people that think that the Miracle of the Sun was a UFO and this recurring theory that's out there, there's a couple of evangelical pastors out there trying to say that when Mary came, it was really Diana, uh, the pagan goddess, and she was wearing a miniskirt and all this other crazy stuff that's going on right in time for the, the anniversary of Fatima. And maybe when we talk about it on that one, I also want to get into this idea of why do we celebrate 100 years for things? You know, is that a human invention or is there a history behind it? But uh, just like we're looking at the 100-year anniversary of Fatima, I guess I wonder what, what's the significance of a hundred years and why do we do this? Um, but news-wise in Catholic practice and trying to find a nice button to put on the end of this where people could walk away today, I hope that there was some encouragement that even though we hear all this information, it doesn't change what God expects of us day in and day out. Yeah. And uh, we kind of glossed on okay, where's the where's the church headed through all this? And I think that's one of the answers we can see. It's still through these little practices, like you said, the sacramentals in the house and devotions and uh, keeping the, the, the faith alive at home is certainly a big part of it. Um, and I think the other part of it too is we didn't really talk about it, we hinted at it, 
one thing we see, and you mentioned it with the simulations, is being open to being challenged by God to do more for Him. You know, just like we said, some people you could talk about better practice or better uh, uh, things, and they just reject it because they're happy doing their, you know, their their little thing. I think God comes to us and pushes even, you know, you get it through family life. And just like you said, your, your daughter is now attached to this thing. It will make you do things. Yeah. Uh, those little invitations from God to do more for him like that are kind of what I mean by it. Uh, and being doing more for God is saying your rosary for the, for the church, saying your rosary for things like that. But I, I think that's the kind of thing. I mean, that brought a smile to my face. That's the kind of thing that gives you hope in tomorrow in the church. As opposed to everything's going to die tomorrow and apocalypse is coming and it, doom is here and we knew it. The Antichrist is walking and he's going to take away the mass. Yeah. I mean, I can't control what happens in the Vatican, but I can try and form my kids to be prepared for whatever they face. Yeah. And part of that formation is not part of it. The foundation of that formation mm -hmm. is goodness, truth, and beauty. Awesome. Let's wrap up with a prayer, Lena. Sounds good. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto. Secret Eridem Principio et Nunca Temper. In Secula Seculorum. Amen. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of the Rosary, pray for pray us. For us. You have been listening to the Bellarmine Forum Podcast, Episode 6 with Landon Day Pasquale. I'm your show host, John B. Manos, President of the Bellarmine Forum. And production of this episode was underwritten by an anonymous donor that asks you to say your rosary daily. If you would like to underwrite production of the podcast, contact the forum using the contact form on the website, bellarmineforum.org, or call us. This podcast is a production of the Bellarmine Forum, formerly known as the Wanderer Forum Foundation, founded in 1965 on the heels of Vatican II as a faithful enclave of the Catholic faith without all of the progressive modernist confusion. Our producer sits at the right hand of the Father and will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Our executive director made all things visible and invisible, as well as having roundly and soundly defeated Og, King of Bashan. Our technical director is an unnamed angel assigned to us by the producer per show. The Bellarmine Forum is a nonprofit public charity, and all donations are tax-deductible to the maximum extent permitted by law. This show is copyrighted by the Bellarmine Forum 2017, to the greater glory of God and the honor of the Blessed Virgin Mary.